Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. This today is going to be an episode featuring a review of Arrival, the new Denis Villeneuve's film starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner and Forrest Whitaker. I said that really funny, Whitaker. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to jump right into this and... Forewarning, this is this is going to be the only spoiler-free part. I don't know when uh, the spoilers will pop up, and I don't want, you know, I want, I'm just going to work them in organically as I come to the topic. But for any of you who have not seen this movie, go see this movie. If you like sci-fi movies that don't need to have a ton of action, this is a perfect movie for you. If you like any other type of movies, I still feel like this will be a good movie for you. It's a slow movie. I'll give you that. And the crux of the film is language. Not guns, not explosions, not bombs. Language. And as far as I'm concerned, it is an incredible film, very strong, very good, with almost every aspect of it working really well. I will get into a couple of things that I felt uh, drew drew attention away from the story or themes, and a couple of things I feel were very poorly executed, and I, I feel like I'm making it making those thing, these things sound much worse than they are. They're very, very nitpicky. Overall, I really enjoyed this film. I really highly recommend it to anybody. anybody. It's one of those movies that I think we all should see. And particularly at a time right now in the United States, which is where I live, and where we have a country that is significantly more divided than it has ever been in my lifetime this the the message of this movie i think is very pertinent to what is happening outside and that's that's all i want to say about that so that is it that is the spoiler free part of this review if you're going on assume that Almost any aspect of the movie can be spoiled at any moment, and you have been warned. So, firstly, I went to go see this Saturday at 7.20 p.m. at a small local theater in the city, and I got there on time and was shocked, shocked to find out that it was sold out. To, to put this in perspective, it was a Saturday, and on the opening weekend for a film projected to make about $25 million this, this weekend, where I got there on time, which compared to last weekend, where I went to see Doctor Strange on a Friday at 7 o'clock, 
p.m. at the exact same theater and actually showed up five minutes late, there were still 50-some seats left. I was, you know, like, Doctor Strange made $60 million more. That many more people went to see it. I realize there are a lot more theaters that have Doctor Strange than Arrival, but this is the first time I've ever, you know, gotten to the box office, the ticket office, and been told that it was sold out. I've never experienced that before, and I was really shocked that this was the film that kind of popped that cherry for me. That being said, I am that makes me really happy that so many people are going to see this movie because I really do think it is a great movie. So I did finally get to see it on what is what was Sunday. It is now Monday morning for me. And I uh, man I didn't know what to expect. I've continued you know, this is a movie that I've avoided as much input as possible toward. And I found that I was served very well in, in doing so. You know, I, I have still haven't seen the trailer. I'll probably check out the trailer sometime after finishing this recording just to see how, I don't know catastrophic it could have been to have seen it but Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve how do you pronounce it Villeneuve Villa Villeneuve no it's because it's EU Villeneuve Denis Villeneuve I feel like I'm definitely still pronouncing it wrong my whatever um he's Canadian so he's a director that I positively adore you know this is his fifth the fifth film that I've scene of his and you know Sicario which came out last year I thought was incredible uh, I gave it a 92 uh, Enemy and Prisoners I think are both very good uh, I put Enemy a point above a point above Prisoners at 79 Prisoners at 78 and then Incendies which is foreign language I put at a 94, incredible, just so, so fantastic, all these movies, and so I've been really looking forward to Arrival, I, sci-fi is perhaps my favorite genre, um, and I think that it's, it's a genre that takes a lot of effort to do really well, and you know, just last year we we had the incredible Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, you know, in recent years we've had Looper, District Nine, uh, Attack the Block, Her, um, and uh, you know, d depending on how far you want to go back, Source Code, Moon, uh, the. You know, you want to go back a little further. You got Jurassic Park. Then you go back to Alien and Aliens. And, you know, it just it keeps going back. You know, the Star Wars movies, They Live, Total Recall, Terminator, The Thing, uh, 2001, Space Odyssey, Edge of Tomorrow, 
12 Monkeys, Ex Machina, the more recent Planet of the Apes films, the older, oldest Planet of the Apes films, Avatar, A Clockwork Orange. There's so many incredible sci-fi films. And while a hefty percentage of them focus more on the shoot 'em up action uh, side of things, you know, I'm I'm looking at movies like a well, yeah, you know, movies more along the lines of Alien and Aliens, more along the lines of Attack the Block, District Nine. I think fits more in this category. Um, as well as definitely Mad Max Fury Road and The Thing Source Code I think feel fits this side of the, of the coin and then you've got on the other hand more, more of a thinking person's type of sci-fi movie you've got your Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Children of Men Arrival, obviously. Uh, Her, uh, I think, is a little bit more of a contemporary comedy-drama side of things with sci-fi elements rather than a sci-fi film itself. But, I mean, it definitely would fit into this category. Uh, As well, you know, Moon, Coherence. Um, Looking down the list... Uh, you know, I think Inception's a little bit blockbustery for this category, but 2001: A Space Odyssey definitely, Ex Machina definitely. So, you know, this kind of sits alongside a lot of those, and I rank it definitely as high up there as many of them. And for me. I, you know, I remember kind of trying to describe my, you know, what a perfect movie to me would be. And this was, this was a couple years ago when I, when I described this, but I took my favorite actor at the time, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, my favorite actress at the time, Emily Blunt. And I said, well, you put them together in a sci-fi film with some sort of element of time travel and that would probably be one of my favorite movies ever and then a few i said that and then a couple seconds later it kind of snapped that they had already done that with looper and it is almost insane that i i literally didn't remember the film or i didn't like piece it together as i was thinking about it looper is in my top 20 of all time uh, I believe it is currently ranked 17th. I gave it a 99 out of 100. And I uh, love that movie so much. I really do need to go back and watch it again, I think. But... Okay, alright. Tangents aside, we're here to talk about Arrival. So let's talk about Arrival, alright? So... Brief summary of the plot, 12 pods appear across the world. They are oblong, somewhat egg-shaped, except they're more like a computer mouse in that they're flat on one side and curved on the other. 
They look perfectly smooth, but they are uh, asymmetrical as 3D objects. And our, our hero, Amy Adams, playing Louise, is a linguist who is a professor that is recruited to help decipher and ultimately communicate, decipher the language of aliens and ultimately communicate with them. And so when we're introduced to this idea that she will be translating their language, uh, Forrest Whitaker, who is an army general, plays her an audio clip of someone talking to the aliens and the aliens kind of groaning in response. So immediately we're like, okay, there's really aliens. Uh, we're going to see some aliens. They better look cool. That's very important in a sci-fi movie, that the aliens look original to that movie. And, you know, their language doesn't really sound like anything. You know, if you're going to use... You know, the only way this movie works is if the language itself is incredibly interesting and makes and, and feels unlike any language that we as human beings speak. And so, you know, it can't be words. You know, we can't listen to them, like, talking. You know, because if they're talk just talking in a foreign language, then, you know, if you're an English speaker, you know, it might as well, they might as well be speaking Russian for all you care. You know, unless you incorporate, like, a clicking noise, you know, unless you incorporate something more organic, I guess, would be a way to describe it. Which other films have done successfully. But this groaning sound, I, I was really interested in it because I wasn't sure what kind of a thing we were going for with this. So, she, she ultimately is drawn into the base of operations outside of the one pod that is hovering above the United States, which is Montana. It's in out in Montana, and there she meets Jeremy Renner, who is a uh, theor theoretical physicist, and the two of them are pretty much teaming up to try and figure this thing out. And as far as Whitaker outlines, the biggest question is, what is your purpose on our on Earth, like why are they here? What do they want? That at the end of the day, that's what they. That those are the only questions that matter. And so, Renner and Adams taken up into the pod. That you know, there's a door that, or there's a uh, the bottom opens up like once every 18 hours. So they rise up into it. They get up high enough, and all of a sudden the gravity shifts, and they can jump up, and then walk up the thing because their gravity the gravitational pull is toward the side of the thing and they enter this room with a big glass pane that separates them from the aliens and like there's a lot of smoke on the other side of pain and the aliens are back there and i remember this is the only time i checked the time this is the only moment i checked the time throughout the whole movie to figure out exactly how long into the movie is the reveal of the aliens, and it's about half an hour, give or take a minute or two. So, 30 minutes into the movie, they reveal the aliens. They are squid-like things with jointed tentacles, is what it looked like to me. And then the end of the tentacle 
can be splayed open to form five finger tentacles, I guess. They don't have suction on them. And they don't have any eyes or faces as far as I'm aware, as far as you're aware when you see them. And there's just two of them. And Amy Adams, like, sees them, and then we uh, cut cut back to decontamination, and, like, apparently it did not go. She, like, fainted or something like that. So the plot continues from there as they begin to discover that the aliens have a written language. They try to determine, like, how to talk to them through it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I don't want this to be, like, 30 minutes of me just re-phrasing the plot. So, the whole, the, the main crux of the film, the biggest thing that I liked about the film, and this is the kind of, probably the biggest thing I like about Villeneuve's work in general is that he values the intelligence of the audience incredibly highly. He he doesn't take anything... He doesn't over-explain things. Um, he makes sure that if you're invested in the film, if you are thinking along with the film and you're actively working with him and the screen and what you're seeing you will get the most out of this film that you possibly can. Everything is important. Everything you see, everything you hear. And there's just a sense that even after finishing watching the film, there is a lot more left to uncover. You know, I think that the most the best example of this, in my opinion, as far as the films he's made already, before Arrival, is Enemy, which I feel mo- most people rank a lot lower than I do. And I've, you know, I put a lot of time into thinking about Enemy, reading about Enemy, rewatching parts of Enemy, you know, the, the, thema- the spider thematic, and, you know, I... I wish I remembered more about it now, but <clears throat> there is so much going on in that movie. And I, I think it that just like Enemy, Arrival is also going to necessitate, necessitate a rewatch for me very soon. So in that sense, I... I watched Arrival thoroughly hooked from the beginning. You you first undergo a five to ten minute sequence that rivals the emotional journey you take at the very beginning of Up. It is tr- traumatic. And as you watch Amy Adams, uh, her daughter contracts some sort of disease and ultimately dies very young. You know, in like her preteens, I think. And then she just has to find a way to move on with her life. And now, super spoiler warning, 
you get cut spliced cuts of this alternate thing throughout the whole movie you see pieces of amy adam you know louise's time with her daughter the whole movie and it never really ties in until the end when she realizes that these are not flashbacks these are flash forwards this is some lost type shit and when i fa- when i watched Lo- i was watching lost and i got to what is it season 4 that they did flash forwards i was blown away i thought that was incredibly amazing for them to have done and i think we are just far enough removed from lost for this to have been an incredibly effective device it is incredibly poignant with amy adams character it is incredibly poignant to the story itself it is incredibly poignant to the ultimate theme of the movie it is i think it's it's very very beautifully structured and beautifully revealed because ultimately it turns out that you know the idea is that for us to try and even comprehend the way that the aliens think about anything is foolhardy we simply can't because they are fourth dimensional beings they experience time non-linearly non-linearly and can look ahead and presumably behind them uh, I suppose, although that doesn't really come up, but they're so the reason that they're even here is because they need help from hu- the human uh, us us uh, on Earth. Three thousand years from now, they're just here to you know scratch our back for the t- so that when they're in trouble, we can scratch theirs, which is incredible. They arrive, they don't instigate anything, they let us come to them, they're very patient, like, the whole time you're just like, oh, every 18 hours, this door opens up, we go in there, they're waiting for us, we talk to them for some amount of time, and then we come back out. And, you know, I'm thinking, like, why are they just waiting there? Don't they do things? What are they here for if they're just gonna sit in their little spaceships forever? And that's it. They're just trying to understand us, they're trying to help us, give us technology, give us the greatest tool we could ever possibly hope to have and then repay them by saving them 3,000 years into the future when every single person that has experienced this thing has long since died and that's just fascinating what a what a fascinating concept i think i think that is to have the temerity to have the patience wherewithal and hope really that this is the right decision i think that's incredible on the part of the aliens and for and so you know there are 12 of these things they're all over the world so 11 other countries are involved in trying to decipher the reason that they're here. Presumably, Louise is making the most progress. But throughout the movie, we start hearing, you know, 
each country has their own way of approaching things. Uh, I believe one country uses Mahjong as a learning tool. You know, they relate everything to the game Mahjong, whereas Louise has been drawing pictures and words to communicate with them and teaching them language in a written form. And, you know, you hear all these different messages that presumably the aliens are saying and you know they're being interpreted every which way positively negatively but at the end of the day they're not instigating anything they're just there if you know like obviously it's easy to say this because it's a movie and i'm you know i've already watched it multiple times but in hindsight, you know, like, and in, you know, 2020 hindsight, but doesn't, doesn't it have to be the case that uh, a hostile alien presence in any form would not be one that does nothing? You know, if they're literally not doing anything, if nothing is secreting out of their spaceship, if nothing, if there has been no hostile action against us, if all they're doing is talking to us, I don't know why anyone jumps to the conclusion that what they're saying is hostile until there's there are actions or anything else to back that up. Now, that being said, that being said, the character, uh, Michael Stolberg's character, who is kind of the, well, we gotta shoot first kind of character. And, you know, it's much more complicated than that, I'll grant him. Uh, But that's essentially kind of what it boils down to. You know, his concerns are not unfounded. It makes, you know, we are a very conflict-oriented species. And whether that conflict is through fists or guns or bombs or words or what have you you know that is something that if you look at our history as a species is very prevalent and i think that it's wise to note just how much and how deep-seated that emotion and reaction is in us so regardless of how nonsensical it may seem or how uh, frustrating it may be to see characters like this on a screen, uh, you know, especially given how positively they portray Amy Adams' character. And, you know, this is not something that's new to the sci-fi genre or the alien invasion subgenre. You can't help but... You have to also recognize that this is a viable possibility you know think war of the worlds there are you know and i was gonna i was gonna say there are aliens that come and invade us and are hostile there are no aliens that have ever invaded us to the public's knowledge but there's no reason to think one way or the other you know it is just as likely for aliens to be hostile as it is for them to be docile and I, I, you know, my personal feeling is that based on the evidence that we've seen that we see in this movie, they are never hostile. 
and I feel as though if they're never hostile, we should never be hostile toward them. That's just kind of where I'm at with this. Moving past that, what we ultimately end up with, you know, as we real, you know, their language is fascinating. And I, I this is one of the point, the nitpicky points. I wish we had spent more time on their language and deciphering it and how it works. And it's circular. It has no beginning or end. They literally, they squirt ink out of their tentacles that forms like a circle with various splotches around it and gaps that help to discern what they're saying. And it's not as if there's a symbol for a word. There's like, think of, uh, think of like a Rorschach test and every single and, and so, like, think of your base Rorschach test as just a big circle, black circle. Every deviation from that perfect circle pattern is a different thought or idea. Every single one. <clears throat> so, you know, if there's one point on a circle, then there's one idea. But you're they're showing things in this movie that have hundreds and hundreds of different ideas collapsed within one image which is incredible like you know who would have who expects that you know we are so simple-minded by comparison you know i think that they reference in the movie if you were going to try to write something write a sentence that they based in the same way that they create their circle image thing and you were going to start writing the sentence from the front and the back of it simultaneously with both hands you would have to know exactly what words you were going to use exactly how big they were going to be on the page so that you would have so you would be able to start at the front and at the back at the approximately the correct spot so you wouldn't leave gaps or anything like that and by the time you're finished figuring out exactly where you're going to start writing, they're like seven conversations through, done. Like they, they, they can have conversations so quickly, which is just incredible. I, I you know, I, I'm going to run out of adjectives, and I'm sure I've already overused a couple already. And I just find it fascinating. I, I would love to have learned more. And so first big, the first nitpicky part of the movie is this uh, voiceover by Jeremy Renner's character about an hour in, I want to say. And he, you know, we go from understanding the concept of their language to having a program that can communicate with them. And I think they say that roughly I want to say like a month passes in this montage of scenes which you know let's say that that is the amount of time it would take to decipher the language as well as it ends up being deciphered I still wish they had taken a little bit more time with that you know it's an hour and 15 minute movie or an uh, an hour and 55 minute movie roughly I would happily give them another 15 minutes on that runtime 
if they dove deeper into uh, this idea, these this notion of a circular four-dimensional language. Man. Uh, so, so the flash forward thing. We find out at the end of the movie that by learning this language that is so entrenched within time itself as part of it, that Amy Adams has actually been shifting her entire entire worldview to the point where she is seeing time as a relative non-linear entity. She is seeing into the future what her life will lead, the daughter she will have who will then die, the time she has with her daughter. Uh, you know, there's a great moment, there's a great scene where um, in, in the flash forward that you think is a flashback, her daughter asks her what this one term is and uh, then in the present Jeremy Renner uses this term and so you know you feel when you watch it originally that this is just a moment that is connecting her you know she thought about it because Jeremy Renner said it that's the connection when it's actually Jeremy Renner said it which is the reason she knows the term and is able to say it to her daughter in the future oh what a great device and like there are a couple of other instances of that I don't remember them offhand uh, but it's just incredible that she it's fascinating uh, how to the point and lean this film is in that sense you know moving forward there's it's it's I just, I'm very overwhelmed by this movie. I really think that it's one of the best films of this year. I feel, and and so this is kind of my struggle. We're gonna we're gonna shift. I'm sorry. We're gonna shift lanes here. I'm sorry a little bit. I didn't know where I was going to rate this when I walked out of the movie theater. I came back and I put a review up on Letterboxd where I gave it a glowing review. I gave it four and a half stars. I knew it was in the 90s somewhere. That's for sure. But I wasn't exactly sure where in the 90s. And, you know, I'm looking at my 90 ratings. You know, we got Zootopia at the top at 96. Swiss Army Man at number two with 94. I basically compared it to Zootopia. That was the first movie I went to. I thought it was incredible. I had an incredibly great reaction to it, similarly to how I felt about Zootopia. And I ultimately ended up saying 97, which puts it at number one for the year. Number one for the year. That's huge. Like, best movie of the year? That's an incredibly... You know, that's that's a lot to put on a movie for me you know even if it's not permanent even if you know another movie may come along to topple it for it to be number one you know this late in the year that's a big statement to make 
but I felt very confident in doing so. However, just recently, as recently as in an hour ago, I was having second thoughts. I was backtracking a little. So the nitpicky thing I mentioned earlier about the Jeremy Renner voiceover and how they skipped a lot of time, that I understand. You know, you, the movie's only so long. I get that they kind of they must have done that cutting for time. I still wish that Jeremy Renner was not the one doing the voiceover. Who's he talking to? I don't know who he's talking to other than us, and that's not really the point. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't a fan of that. The second thing is after you get the reveal that it's all a flash forward and not a flashback, uh... You, re- you find out that Jeremy Renner is the father of Amy Adams' daughter, which has been hinted to throughout the movie, but was never overt. You know, it was never like this was going to be a love story. There's not a lot of romance that happens. You see them prior to being in a relationship. You see them in the flash forwards once or twice, actually, in the relationship. And then you find out that they divorce very shortly after Amy Adams reveals that their daughter's going to die because Jeremy Renner doesn't know this. And he can't handle it. He leaves her. Because she... I don't know whether or not it's because she's withholding information. Whether or not it's because he just can't continue to raise a daughter that he knows is going to die. And he knows when she's going to die. That's... I gotta... You know, that's fair. You know, that's a lot to put on someone. You know, for Amy Adams to still have the kid knowing that the she's going to die at a young age is a heartbreaking revelation it's really difficult to reconcile with and you know you can't begrudge Jim Renner's opinion you know he was led on by this and you know I have my own personal feelings about it you know I don't you know, it feels as though we, as a civilization, as a society, are ultimately moving toward a state where we will be able to determine various aspects of our children. We will be able to find out what potential risks and markers these kids were going to have while they're in the womb and adjust them to fit a predetermined notion of health and healthiness you know no one gets pregnant and has a kid with someone under the predication of i want this kid to have down syndrome i want this kid to be born defected or defected i'm sorry it's not the right word to be born uh without to be born in a in you know to have some sort of handicap handicap is the word i was looking for i'm sorry i said defected uh cuz you know you don't because you know why would you want that by the very definition of the word it is something that holds back the child from something you know whether it is a physical handicap or a mental handicap or just you know that you don't you know you don't want your child to be born with a weak heart you don't want your child to be born with 
without the use of a limb or incapable of forming words or incapable of having of using logical and critical reasoning you know you want your child to have every possible opportunity that it can have i you know i feel that that is a fair enough statement however when and if and when your child does is born with those handicaps you do everything you can given that situation to afford them the most opportunities that you can to make the best of every moment possible and it makes it becomes a really muddy issue when you insert the uh, the knowledge of knowing what is going to come because if you know that your child is going to be born with down syndrome if you know that your child is going to be born dyslexic or mentally uh challenged or uh, i don't know paralyzed from the neck down you, you know how confident are you that you would still go through with the pregnancy when you're presented with that option with that knowledge how do you you know how do you reason that argument out is it vi- is it a viable option to say no or do you you know or have you already connected with the idea of this child that you're going to see it through and you're going to you know push forward and love the child anyway i i don't know i've never been faced with anything remotely like that uh, but i you know i guess if i had if i was afflicted with something some disease say and it was a hereditary disease and by having children of my own there is a more than likely chance that my child would receive this disease from me and you know it's on me to determine whether or not i want to have kids because of this and sure i have options i could adopt i could you know you know there's artificial insemination from a donor or something like that but ultimately the decision falls on on me to determine my decision and i don't know what i would decide under those parameters you know it depends there's so many factors that you have to consider because to not consider those factors is is simply disrespectful to the process itself to the future life of your kid uh but what on the other side of this what i can say and what i do feel about such a decision is that you know i've had my fair share of traumatic events in my life and 
I know that there are a lot of times and have been so many times over the course of my life where I've wished to go back to before they happened or where I wished that they hadn't happened or where I wish I could just get one more time, one more moment to be in a place where I don't have to think about them. You know, I constantly, constantly am just devastated by some of the things in my life. You know, when I was very young, both both of my parents passed away. Uh, I, my, my mom when I was three and my dad when I was ten. And, you know, like it or not, I didn't really have a choice in that matter. And those two things have had a huge impact on my life. There, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, I can't... I personally, I can't act like those things didn't happen. I have to live with them for the rest of my life. And I know that if... I had the opportunity to 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 change those things. I wouldn't. And I wouldn't change them because they've already happened and I'm here and I'm alive and well and you know, I don't know how much of a change things would be. I don't know if things would be worse for me or other people around me. But as much as I wish that those things hadn't happened, as much as I wish I could change them, given the option to, I wouldn't. And I, I speak for myself. I don't speak for anyone else. I think that anyone who feels that they really want to change something like that is more than justified in that desire because it's a really fucking tough decision to think about, let alone actually go through with. And I have struggled with that kind of a decision all my life. It has plagued me for a long time. It has caused me a seemingly endless amount of depression and self-hate and uh, hatred toward them at times. But I am making progress on it and hopefully can come to terms with it fully someday. Amy Adams uses the, her ability to view time non-linearly to contact the Chinese, a Chinese general who is in the process of going to war with the aliens. And she is able to convince him to stop based on a thing she sees in the future where he is telling her why she convinced him to stop. And her creed her motto throughout the whole movie is just how important language is and that it should be the first thing we use to 
to to come to a resolution. And I couldn't agree more. You know, I mentioned on my review of Hacksaw Ridge a few episodes ago that, you know, I am a pacifist individual. I believe I am anti-war. I am anti-violence. I think these things are should not have any place in our society. And, you know, I don't mind violent uh, sports or, or video games or, or movies because there is a certain cinematic quality to them. There is a certain enjoyability in watching things like that. I understand it. I recognize it. I do. You know, one of my favorite movies, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is Mad Max Fury Road, which is just nonstop violence and action pretty much the whole way through. But in real life, the idea of talking a problem out is infinitely more appropriate, in my opinion, than punching a problem out and I commend and applaud this film for just how resolutely it makes that argument while not diminishing the opposition you know and you know if you you know, devil's, or not really devil's advocate, but just an argument against this is that if you really want to hurt someone, you can do that with words as almost just as easily as you can, sometimes easier than with fists or some other type of instrument that is physical. There are an endless amount of prejudice remarks that are made all the time everywhere and that is very sad that saddens me quite a lot you know i think that that's a shame that people feel the need to do something to say things like that i am not innocent in this i have said mean things to people and you know, I have, and I haven't always apologized for them. And, you know, sometimes I'll think about something I've said and it'll kind of eat away at me a little bit because I feel really bad about it. But I can't change what I've said. And it's remarkable just how complex how convoluted and how intricate conversation, words, sounds, and communication really are, which is something that this movie really hits home in a big way. It drives it into your head over and over again that almost anything can be misinterpreted, almost anything but almost anything can be resolved simply by exchanging meaning with someone else, whether that's verbal cues, whether that's written cues, or, you know, 
you know, there it even goes so far as physical conversation at times. And so, geez, I keep going way off on tangents. So as I mentioned, about an now it's like an hour and fifteen minutes ago, I was struggling with where I was ranking this movie on my spreadsheet. And I mentioned that I ultimately decided on a 97. Then recently, an hour and 15 minutes ago, as re- that recently, I was toying with dropping it to a 95, which would put Zootopia back on top for this year so far. And I'm, I just, I'm looking at other films that are very similar to this. So Eternal Sunshine. So currently, films that other sci-fi films that I've rated 97, Aliens. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Children of Men, and Attack the Block. I think that Aliens, Eternal Sunshine, and Children of Men are all better than Arrival. 1v1. And I think Arrival and Attack the Block are roughly equal. So if anything, it should be dropped to, let's say, so let's say I drop Arrival to a 96. Then it's on par with Alien, Her, La Jete, Jurassic Park, 28 Days Later, Slither, Primer, The End of Evangelion. And that's a much more complex relationship between those movies. And I think it generally fits better in that category. But for posterity's sake, let's say it's a 95. There's only two movies there, Safety Non-Guaranteed, and face off and I just you know I was starting to talk myself out of a 97 and then you know I thought about what it exactly excited me about this movie why was I so high on it initially and I just kept kind of coming back to how simple and elegant the premise and reveal are how perfectly the twist ties into everything throughout the film you know Amy Adams performance is strong and subtle the emotions that she has to harbor and undergo are very complex I think and she does a great job with it But the argument that ultimately settled it for me was just how much I needed, I felt like I needed to rewatch this movie. And not because I felt lost. I felt like I had a good grasp on this film while watching it. I felt, and while I don't feel like I was perfectly 100% inside of Denis Villeneuve's mind while the whole time. I felt confident that I came away from this movie with a good understanding of what I had just seen. And yet, I still would love to see this movie again. I think it is something, I think it is special. I think it is Villeneuve's best movie to date. I I think that it is my favorite uh, so, I mentioned before how my ratings are 
roughly half quality, half or half subjective, half objective. And if I'm looking at it like right now, I think that every point it loses is an objective point. So it's let's say it loses a point for the Jeremy Renner uh, voiceover. There's a line he says toward the end of the movie that is grown and cringe-inducing. So much so. Let's say that's two more points there. So we're down in 97 right now. I don't think there's any other point in the movie that I would draw what points away from. I think the characters are all strong. The acting is strong. The score, the visual effects, the story, the plot, the reveals, the act, the structure... It's all so good. Everything about it is so good. And so I am keeping it at a 97. With the caveat that when I do ultimately rewatch this, which will probably be sometime early next year, after it has come out on Blu-ray and available to watch online, I will revisit this rating by then i will have a much better idea of where this year will rank as a whole and i will be able to adjust it if i see fit to do so this has been kind of a wild review uh one of my much one of my longer longest ones so far I, in fact i do think it is my longest one so far I can feel my voice kind of starting to dry out right now. And we we got pretty deep on this one. And I think that that's a sign of a film that really hits home and really addresses emotions well. That it can elicit such a deep re response. I listened, oh man, I listened to... I've already listened to six or seven different people review this movie on various podcasts. <coughs> and one of them was so choked up, he he couldn't he could barely speak for almost 3 or 4 minutes. I my heart broke listening to him. You know, he's a new father and you know, there, that's a, that's a big plot point in this movie about having a child and knowing that they're going to die soon you know and having recently had a kid of his own i totally understand what he's or i mean i don't i totally recognize what he's going through i don't have any experience in it but it makes sense his reaction to what he saw and describing it and talking about it so I think that this is a very high quality movie that most people should have. I think this is a very high quality movie that you should go and see it if you can. And even if you don't have the almost revelatory, this sort of revelatory experience that I had, that he had, that anyone has had. Uh, it's it's worth your time. I really believe that. And, you know, this was a great weekend for me. You know, Moonlight and Arrival, is, you know, what a 
strong weekend. And I'm really... This is this is why I watch movies, you know. Or, well, this is this is a big big re- re- reason, you know. Obviously, the spreadsheet uh, kind of forces me to or encourages me to watch everything. But at the end of the day, I want I always watch I've always watched movies to escape this world into a new one. I've always enjoyed that part of it just kind of peeking into somewhere else and inhabiting it for 90 to 120 minutes on average. And Arrival is incredibly successful at doing that. So it's a 97 from me. It is currently my number one film of the year. And it propelled... Director Villeneuve's from 133rd to 32nd as a director. Uh, as a writer, you know, it bumped Eric Heiserer, Eric Heiserer up from like 2000th to 1111th. Um, and then Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, who were all, or Jeremy Renner, who's already a top 50 actor for me, jumped up to 28th. Amy Adams re entered the top 50 at 44th. I think she was in the 70s before this. And it is both of their best films that they've been a part of. Uh, jumping ahead of The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford for Jeremy Renner, and jumping ahead of her. For Amy Adams. Uh, so that is my review of Arrival. It has been a long episode for me. And I think that... I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully it didn't get too deep for you. But... That is what we're doing here. That is where we're at. So, uh, you can find slash follow me on iTunes, uh, Circle of Film, uh, circlefilm.com, at Letterboxd, uh, Strangia, S-T-R-A-N-G-A-H, or email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com. And more than anything... Have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight. Come on, baby, while we paint the town. And all that jazz. So long, farewell, I'll be the same as you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.